millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. Is PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. Hmm. Supposedly a collection of paper. So last time I asked for books in the supermarket, uh, I you know, I was asking that you have like a collection of, of paper, you know, like kind of put together and that you can unfold. Yeah. And they gave me toilet paper, so I've been trying to read it, but like it, there's not much uh, substantial content. It's not much Shakespeare in the old toilet roll from Tesco's. So I'm not sure what's going no, on. That's very confusing. It's, it's sorely lacking, I think. Yeah, you've but, got to specify the kind of paper yeah, but that you the, want. I think um, scrolls, you know, right? So we're, we're in a, scrolls, yeah, I think so. so. Toilet paper, rolls right? up, right? Yeah, right. You kind of roll it up and then unroll it, and then you mm. start reading the pamphlet. That's what I was expecting. I was very shocked. They did so many. They basically so many books without content. It didn't even say who wrote the thing. I, yeah. I was absolutely. I'm not shocked. sure what you've done wrong. Uh, if anyone can figure out what you've done wrong, uh, booksboys at hotmail.com. Let us know because we need to present some content. Well, yeah, you know? I'm very. I'm, I'm very disturbed. I mean, I feel very. Um, disturbed. PJ, I'm sorry to tell you this as well, but we have a second problem. I um, I, I haven't given you time to prepare for this, but uh-huh. we're we're due up in uh, in court tomorrow for uh, contravening the Trades Descriptions Act. So it Good turns Lord. out in our intro, we clearly state live from the Grand Library, and it's been pointed yeah. out that our show is neither live nor from any kind of library. We're actually not even in the same country, never mind sitting in a library together. So yeah, we, we have told a fib. Oh, I bet we meant it in a metaphysical way, everyone. We meant it in the... In the sort of post-body experience way, you know, like higher consciousness. That's what it meant to hire the library. As so our souls well, are being together. Let's hope our talk. lawyer can make that work. Exactly. So you just you got to press down to that lawyer that is just the souls connecting kind of thing, you know, in the higher library of, of things. <laughs> I actually imagine myself recording from that, the C.S. Lewis reading room in, in the Maclay Library at Queen's University. Uh, do, okay. Belfast, actually. Yeah, yeah. That was where I got that. <laughs> the power of imagination. So, Dean, what did, so, what did you read this month? That's it. We're going to talk about books. Just before I do mention what I read, just to say quickly hello to all the listeners, especially oh, yeah. everyone on the TNC network. And of course, everyone listening on Radio Oxon in Oxfordshire, where I recently visited uh, for the first time in my life. So hello to all of you. All of you. Welcome. And uh, now, thanks PJ, for listening. We do, have, we do have a sponsor this month. Um, our sponsor is the Wuthering Medicaments Limited. If you're suffering from a touch of the old heartache, Reread Wuthering Heights, and it will make your problem worse. And you can you can get yourself a prescription for that at WutheringMedicamentsLimited.gov. <laughs> All right, the old Bronte cure, eh? 
the old Bronte cure. The old gets, Bronte, the old Bronte cure. That's you know, that's it exactly. The old Bronte cure for depression. There you go. So there, there you go. That's <laughs> yeah. The the cure that actually makes the problem uh, worse. We're also this episode sponsored by Newsly, which is an audio app on iOS and Android. Ooh. Picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. And for the first time in the history of the internet, the web becomes listenable. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing, stop scrolling, start listening. And it's available in over 40 countries. That's Newsly, N-E-W-S-L-Y dot me, or obviously just check your app store. Um, and you're able to receive a one month premium, um, premium subscription on that, courtesy of the Books Boys. And you'll need to use the promo code BOOKS 2021. Ooh, so what have I been reading? I went into this month thinking, oh my good golly gosh, I'm going to be so busy, I'm not going to have time to read anything. Um, and that's that's why I've read four books still as normal. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, good, because I haven't actually read as much as I'd like to, uh, but I have read a very nice book. But uh, why don't you go first? I can't really sure. share mine. As, as people who've been listening, you know, over the last two or three months will know, I, I recently did some Jane Austens and there were two left that I hadn't done yet. Oh. So I did an Instagram poll and I said, what do you want to hear this month? Oh. Uh, Mansfield Park or Emma? So Mansfield Park won. So we're going to do Emma next month. And I read oh. uh, Jane Austen's third novel, 1814, um, Mansfield Park. Oh. Now, do you know this one? No, I don't know this one at all. So tell me about right. it. How, how is the rates from all your Jane Austen novels? It's middling. Okay. okay. Northanger Abbey's still the best. Persuasion's still the worst. Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice are middling. This is in and around that level. Okay. I see. And I did have some Instagram arguments because everyone else thinks that um, Persuasion's the best. Mm, so I don't know what's going on there. But here's what happens in this novel. We open or almost open with this lovely quote. But there certainly are not so many men of large fortune in the world as there are pretty women to deserve them. So we're setting the tone straight away here. It's about uh, rich men and pretty girls, essentially. That's, that's the kind of world that we're, we're in, okay? It's people okay. looking to get to marry well, okay? okay. Um, but then, to be honest, it's probably not what you're thinking. It, it doesn't quite go like that. Yeah. So we have this girl, the lead character is called Fanny. Okay. Now, Fanny's one of a large, large family, okay? There's a sister or two, there's lots of brothers. Um, and basically what happens is her parents say, we can't afford to take care of all these damn kids, so we're going to ship this one off to our rich aunt and uncle. Well, it's typical, so the rich aunt and uncle say, solution. yeah, and it, you know, that's grand. Typical solution, <laughs> we're going to take in Fanny. And the way, this is a sad book at times. Oh, I mean, the way they speak about the poor girl Okay. You know, and they, they basically say, you know, make sure you know that you are not on the same level as your cousins. You know, you're all, wow. you're not a servant to them, you know, but you're not on the same level as them. And you be aware of that at all possible times, you know. Jesus. So there's Lady and, and uh, Lord Bertram. They're the, or Sir Bertram, I believe, sorry, and Lady Bertram. They're the aunt and uncle. Okay. There's another aunt, Mrs. Norris, and she's a kind of conniving, mean person who gets involved in everything and puts Fanny down at, at every possible um, opportunity. Hmm. Okay. And she's the one who, who really causes most of the problems. And they say things like, I hope she is a well-disposed girl. This is her niece. Uh, Sir Thomas says, 
should her disposition be really bad, we must not, for our own children's sake, continue her in the family. There is no reason to expect so great an evil. We shall probably see much to be al- to wish to be altered in her, and must prepare ourselves for gross ignorance, some meanness of opinion, and very distressing vulgarity of manner. <laughs> so, but these are not incurable faults. Now, this is her, her, her niece. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Okay. And it's just, I, I couldn't cope with it at times. They, they'd never really <laughs> met before. Because, you know, in England, uh, in the 1800s, if you lived more than a 30-second horse ride away, you just didn't see each other for 20 years. So <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of what's happening, and they've, they've never seen her. Okay. There's bit, but this, now, is, this is uh, before Instagram, guys. So remember that. Before it is Instagram before and Instagram and the, the clouds and, and all of that. Before Vine and Second Life and all the latest uh, social media. <laughs> yes, Second Life, exactly. <laughs> but Mrs. Norris, uh, real, her husband dies. So now she becomes okay. even more meddling. And there's a nice little line. She consoled herself for the loss of her husband by considering that she could do very well without him. And for her reduction of income by evident necessity of stricter economy which basically meant moving in with the other ones most of the year. <laughs> okay, yeah. so she's like, well, my husband's gone, but we didn't really need him anyway, so we'll be grand. Well, so okay. basically well, what fun. happens here is Fanny goes to live with them and they put her down constantly and she feels at the start very, very scared. And she, she's very scared. She feels inadequate, but she does grow. She's with them for years and she grows up, you know, from like 11 to 18 with them, you know, and, and she does obviously eventually get a bit of confidence. There are two brothers one is irrelevant because he's there for a little tiny bit of the book. He's not there at the start. He comes back and he disappears again. Okay. Um, but there is one brother, Edward, who's really, really quite kind. Um, and they get on quite well. And she kind of falls in love with him. Okay. Um, because it was perfectly fine to fall in love with your definite first cousin. Oh, it's, 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 you know, just, just everyday kind of material. Everyday topic, yeah. Because he fell in love with Zach, wasn't yeah. Um, but there's another guy, a kind of wreck, a kind of rogue called Henry Crawford, who, oh. who likes her. Oh, um, but he likes her awesome. because, she, yeah, he likes her because he likes all the girls and he wants to get them to fall in love with him and then, you know, then ditch them and move on to the next one. Oh, Lord. Okay. It's, it's only complicated by the fact that his sister Mary is in love with the cousin that she is also in love with. So we guess to have a little love square. Good Lord. Okay, so um, things so are getting pe- steamy. Okay, and tell me, this, is are, this more yeah. is this more of a kind of um, you know kind of pleasing the public kind of love triangle, or do you think it's very relevant for a story? What I mean, is do you think Jane Austen in general writes it to, you know to cause a bit of scandal to like attract your everyday reader, or do you think she does it because she sees that there's a lot of, lot to learn from this kind of dilemma? Mm. I think I that yeah, they they learn about you know. They try to, they, Fanny knows not to trust this guy, right? She okay, knows she he's knows. A, a devious guy, but her, then she becomes friends with the sister and the sister's trying to win her over. And she kind of also is suspicious of the sister, but she knows that the sister's in love with her cousin and her cousin's in love with, he, with her. And she doesn't want to upset her cousin who she's in love with. Oh. So almost she's going along with it for her cousin's sake, essentially, to try to make everyone happy. And obviously that's not working. Oh. Um, so, so, I, so I think the love story is important. I, I think that um, we do learn something from it. Mm-hmm. Um, effectively, we learn to trust our instincts. And when you knew that someone was a, a bit of a villain, you were probably right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's basically goal was your instinct. Okay, cool. Yeah. But this poor girl, she was in her room. They gave her, you know, an attic room or something because they said we couldn't possibly have her to go to our own girls. They give her an attic room uh, with no heating. And she stays in this little room with, with no heating. 
you know, for like nine years or something. And eventually what happens is the dad goes off on a trip. Well, her uncle. And he, he's away for years because, you know, a business meeting takes four years in this, uh, you know, in this world. So he it. finally comes back. And during this time, she's gotten pretty. Oh. And all of a sudden, it's fine. They love her now because she's pretty. Oh, for God's sake. And the two, the two daughters have moved out of the house. So she's the only pretty girl now in the house. Okay. You know, and there's scandal with them because, of course, there is. Um, so now, now the uncle loves her and he can't do without her and everyone thinks she's amazing. And he goes to her room for the first time. Yeah. So he's never been in this room in his own house in like nine years. Oh, he goes in and says, never. have you no heating? Like, no, I've never had heating. This must be a, an oversight that someone's done mistakenly, you know. So then he gets some, and she feels so grateful to have some coals in her fire. Meanwhile, Mrs. Norris is saying, "Oh, she doesn't deserve coals in her fire. Just let her be cold," you know. Bit of a Cinderella kind of kind of thing going on. Uh, yeah, actually, and Fanny's been uh, described as a 19th century Cinderella, right? She's actually been described by some yeah. critics. I I didn't know that, but it it totally fits. Like yeah, yeah. it really fits. So the character. Um, yeah. And the only other real important character is Lady Bertram. She is kind, but irrelevant. She basically just waits for her husband to do everything and make all the decisions. Mm. And she's afraid to kind of voice her own opinion or really... She loves her husband. She's not put down by him or anything like that. She's just naturally uninterested. Mm. So she just sits in the background and, and says nothing and does nothing. And if you ask her something, she'll say, oh, I don't possibly know that. You know, and she's just... And she's half asleep most of the time. You can talk about private things in front of her because you know she's not listening because she's half asleep. And she has a little dog and she reclines on her chaise long all the day and all the night. And that's it. And when they ask, someone asks uh, Fanny to go and attend uh, a dinner Mm -hmm. and they say, and she says, but Sir Thomas, can I do without her? And he says, well, I think you may, but she always makes the tea. You know, it's (laughs) like, what what, what do I do? (laughs) What a world. And she ends up really having affection for her um, in the end, but it's just funny that she doesn't know, you know, what she's like, well, but she makes the tea. If she's not here, what, what do we do? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so completely. Um, but so, so, first... so she's very kind of powerless um, heroine, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Okay. The first third of this novel, PJ, is taken up with um, a theater. So the dad's oh. away mm-hmm. and all these guests, because you know, in these days, they're just seeing random guests in your house yeah. at all manner of times. Oh, yeah. And they no think, idea where they let's, put on, let's put on amateur theater. Okay. And they say, oh, this is very sinful and very immoral, this kind of acting Ooh. and with girls involved and love scenes. And, and of course, the Lady Bertram doesn't know anything about it. She just says, yeah, I do whatever. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm asleep. And Mrs. Norris gets involved in it, but then turns out that was a mistake. And, you know, the dad comes home from his four-year business trip and he's outraged and he tear the whole theater down, <laughs> wreck the whole thing. How dare this happen in my house? You know, and right. I'm ashamed of my children, you know. So it's like seeing this very decadent thing, okay? <laughs> but a third of the book is wasted planning a theatrical show that then never goes ahead. Oh, no. And then it's, it's irrelevant to the rest of the book. Then we move on. And it's like, we could have cut this book from 500 pages to 300 because, <laughs> you know, that first part was completely irrelevant oh, really good. Uh, but there it is you know that's that's what we have okay okay so um so what's the reason why i should read this book then so tell me because i mean it doesn't sound very compelling for me it doesn't sound very compelling that fanny's such a powerless woman it seems like a very anti-feminist book it seems a bit confusing she's powerless it's anti-feminist and she gets put down i mean here's one that mrs norris mrs so another person called mrs grant invites her for dinner and she says, don't think she's inviting you because she really likes you. Mrs. Grant thinks it's a civility due to, to us 
to take a little notice of you, or else it would never have come into her head. And if your cousin Julia had been at home, you would never have been invited. Mm. You know, so she just never lets her have anything nice. And to be honest, the girl doesn't fight back. You know, there's no feminist comeback at the end of it. So Okay, it does work out well for everyone, but she's very submissive. So maybe that's the whole critique, isn't it? Kind of maybe that's the maybe she's criticizing that most women are like that at that time. Jane Austen, instead of showing like a heroine, she's like saying, well, most women are like that. And maybe when they see how how similar they are, then these women might react. You know what I mean? It might be kind of a, a feminist approach still going on. I'm going to give you this. The nonsense and folly of people stepping out of their rank and trying to appear above themselves makes me think it right to give you a hint, Fanny, now that you are going into company without any of us. And I do beseech and entreat you not to be putting yourself forward and talking and giving your opinion as if you were one of your cousins, as if you were dear (laughs) Mrs. Rushforth or Julia. That will never do, believe me. Remember, wherever you are, you must be the lowest and the last. So it's it's really, really rough stuff at times. Yeah, it's tough. And I, I don't think that she... I think that she doesn't fight back really her, her her cousin sticks up for her a lot and later and you know and that's fine um but when he's not there she doesn't stick up for herself it only really turns around because she gets pretty and her uncle just starts, starts to like right, her okay, so you know like, and then it's all fine because if you're pretty it's fine you know yeah so the so the, so the message under been under that is that you know english society is is messed up i think right that's completely pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah and her that's aunt that. likes her but that's only because she's essentially you know a companion and almost a servant to her aunt. Okay. So now her aunt can't do without her. But that, and they do grow a real affection towards the end, but it's not form. it's formed through her submission, mm. you know? And, and she's so happy at the end when they say, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give spoilers, but there's multiple scandals in the family. And they say, we need Fanny to support Mrs. You know, Lady Bertram. And Fanny mm. is in awe. Like, oh my God, they need me. They want me. Mm. You know, my life is complete. Someone actually wants me to be in the room with oh, them and talk to them. That me. is the sum total of her ambition. Oh, sounds very depressing. Sounds very depressing, the book, to be honest. But it is a nice, it's a fun book in some ways. There's little humor. Okay, you know, I, I always right. say they Jane Austen has serious. a little bit of that Dickensian style yeah, humor, yeah, yeah. you know. And there's little bits of that, and it's not quite as one-dimensional. Uh, Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice are very simple one-dimensional books. Okay. There's a bit more going on in this. Um, I think it's less boring than Persuasion, but it's not as crazy and funny as Northanger Abbey. I'm okay. just going to say it's a it's a middling, you know, book. Okay. Um, but I I did enjoy it. I wouldn't read it again, but it's it was above adequate. Okay. Cool. <laughs> So what did you read? Mansfield Park. So what did you read after that? After that, I read The Woman at the Gates. Um, But who was that? That is by Christina Lusick Berger. Okay. Who I believe, who I believe has just joined us on the call. Oh, what do you mean? Hi. Hi. How's it going? Wow. That was perfect timing. (laughs) That was amazing timing. (laughs) That's very unexpected. Oh, you, you came in just in the right second. Like I, I, I didn't even know you were coming in, and we're just talking about you. <laughs> so that is great. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Hi, show. Guys. Welcome. Uh, my name is PJ. Thanks. So how are you? Cool. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's it's going to be a busy week. So the book is coming out wow. on Thursday, and um... awesome. So we've unexpectedly. Um, Christina, you've rang in right right on cue when we've been. Uh, I've just been about to talk about your about your book. So, 
Oh, that's crazy. I, I read this um, two weeks ago, good. The Woman at the Gates. Uh, and of course, we had no idea that you were going to call in at all. So that was yeah, a surprise. That's no, <laughs> a coincidence. You've got a copy there. You've got a copy, The Woman <laughs> at the Gates. Um, this, I'll give a quick, I'm going to ask you about it and, you know, your, your process and things yourself. But what I'll give is in, in terms of a couple of lines of, of synopsis, hmm. what we essentially have is a, is a World War II era book um, where Ukraine... So we have a kind of resistance movement, a freedom sort of movement in Ukraine, and a nationalist movement, essentially. And Amelia and Ivan and, and Victor. And what's happening here is, and I feel really, really, really sorry for them, almost straight off the bat, because they're being attacked on three fronts. You've got the Nazis, you've got the Soviets, and then you've got other splinter groups of their same movement in Ukraine. So you, you just feel like they almost don't stand a chance from the start and they you know it is a resistance they're working against all odds mm-hmm. wow, okay. was was that you know obviously yes we do have the nazis do the soviets was it a conscious effort to put you know the other side of the resistance group in and, and kind of increase that difficulty for them hmm. yeah um because it was true and i actually i grew up in this um very splintered society in the Ukrainian diaspora. Um, So it really, it played a huge part in just the relationships within um, the Ukrainian communities. Um, There were, there were things that came out that just made, you know, made things ugly. Mm -hmm. And I, I I think I wrote in my author's note that this was a very cathartic process for me to write this book. And I really wanted to kind of figure out where was all of this coming from? And in the end, um, what I'm seeing is everybody has the right idea Mm and, and, everybody wants the same thing, but their approaches are completely um, different and, and come into conflict with each other. And so basically everybody wanted to rule Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the organization of Ukrainian nationalists, they wanted to, there was a splinter of those who were living as emigres in the West and those who were living in Ukraine under Soviet Mm -hmm. rule. And oppression and they wanted to have say in what was going to happen with the country mm. so, so very, a lot of different things yeah very splintered country and then before and afterwards right as well as poland also owning right. part of ukraine and russia and it's still problems so right uh, um so right. Our, yeah so, so and i wanted to and i wanted to bring this through the story like um it was it was like taking a pot of borscht and trying to pull all the ingredients out to figure out how this all yeah. know, happened. Yeah, in the first tell me, tell me this: writing a book that you know, obviously, it's a novel. We've got our fictional elements, but we've also got a lot of real mm. elements as well. Does having real material to work from make it? Mm. Do you think it makes it easier or harder to write the fictional parts? You know, it's tremendously difficult <laughs> writing about people that you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know um like compounding um people from my family and then creating these fictional mm. characters but once i was able to really create you know really their own definitions or um yeah their own personalities it was a lot easier 
um, from the plotting aspect, it's really awesome to have all of these anecdotes because you kind of want to build the things in. There was a lot of things that my editor had had me cut out because she was afraid I was going to lose the tempo and the pacing. Right, yeah. You know? mm. um, but a lot of the stuff that I had that I had put together regarding my family's kind of story from east mm-hmm. to west um, did go in. And I use the most powerful stuff and the stuff that was really related to those characters. um, um, Christina, I just want to know, were you born in Ukraine or are you a Ukrainian from? I was was born in the USA like Bruce (laughs) Finkstein, but (laughs) (laughs) first generation. So my my grandparents and my parents came from Ukraine after World War II. My mother was born in Salzburg, but now I live in Austria. Yes, I so I kind of made a big I, I, I read circle. That, yeah. <laughs> and so um, do you find that you're now in Europe again, Austria? And do, do you find you're like, you want to discover your roots? Is that, where you, is that where you're doing this book? Is that where you're writing? Is that where you're in Europe? Um, the whole reason that I even ended up here was because I was on a trip to follow my, my family's okay. footsteps. Um, and I ended up meeting a backpacker that I had met in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, and we traveled to Italy together from Austria. And then when I returned, I said, I, I don't even want to go back to the wow. States anymore. So I tossed my ticket. <laughs> and um, Wow, that's great. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to figure this wow. out. So and I did. That is, that is awesome. Did. Yeah. Wow, no, I'd love to. I'd love to read this book. And you've, um, yeah, you've done well for yourself. You said you're just about to release a new book this week. Can you tell yes. us a bit about that? That is. Yes. So this is the book that one comes out. Gates, this is not your. So, this is not your first book, right? You had a previous book, but this yeah, is the um, new one that comes out on Thursday. The second. Oh right. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I didn't get that. Okay. My, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is my tenth novel. Wow. <laughs> wow, and I didn't know it was that it's many. A big ten- well done wow my god well uh, done, and indeed. your other books sound very interesting too they're they all are they all historical as far as i can see really like um, it okay. yes so yeah i um i like to write stories mm-hmm. about well um i like to travel and while i'm traveling i'll discover wow. things about history that i'm like wow why does anybody else know this <laughs> you know um and so i think my my writing career was yeah. kind of set when i started doing the russian valley series and that's uh it takes place in northern yeah. italy no, no man's land um, and i don't know if you guys have ever okay. yeah exactly and I don't know if you guys have ever been to um, mm-hmm. just over the Austrian border into Italy. There's a, a huge lake. Mm-hmm. It's four miles long. And um, off the side of the lake, there is a church tower coming straight wow. out of the water. Ooh, wow. And I'm a journalist. So my first question was, how does even, how does that even happen? <laughs> you <God>. know, <laughs> like, yeah. why is it in there? You know? Um, and so I started doing the research and unfortunately, essentially everything I was finding was in German or Italian. And so it took me quite a number of years before I tackled the project and said, okay, um, and this is before Deeple and, and Google translate, Google translate used to translate, um, strawberries, uh, in German is Erdbeeren. And if you plug that in into Google translate, it came out earth. Yeah. So. (laughs) 
That's how long ago I started researching. Yeah, PJ does actually speak German, so he'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah, after, yeah, I was just want to say, yeah, it means, like, earthquakes. I can imagine the, the conflict went through. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, that would definitely be interesting for you, because it was, um, again, like, very few people, they'll go over the border and they're like, why are there a bunch of Tyrolians wow. living down here, you know, in down here in northern Italy? Um and somebody once told me they're like, well, yeah, you know, Mussolini, Hitler, they really didn't get along, and something happened. And but, it, yeah. but it's not. It, it started after World War One mm. is when the conflict wow. began. And you researched that and turned it into into books. I love that. Um, yeah, that would be my approach because I wrote a novel as well called Okutama Express, which also set around the Second World War. So the Second World War for me is the the one where like all the crazy like they're all crazy but it's so well documented you see the second world war that i find like it's right. so well documented but at the same time there's so much that you know people don't know about and to like to like just reach right. out into that cauldron of stories and take out a bowl of soup of stories it's just so it's easy but it's not done enough even so i find it great that you that you did that wow so um do you have german yeah so my then? mom is german and okay. her family and i grew up uh mm-hmm. speaking german with her and english with my dad because he's irish um so yeah very lucky because i find the language barrier might be often a bit tro- uh, uh, problematic right when you're doing the research so it helps when you just just know the the language and like read the documents but also talking to the people because i imagine you probably mm, did you mm-hmm, talk to a lot mm-hmm. of people actually as well the people who lived there i did wow. i yeah i only live four hours away from from okay, south Tyrol, so um i was down there about three or four times a year mm. each year and um it, like i said it took me a long time to start yeah. researching because i really did need to wow. learn the language um and once i started getting to the root of things um i realized how very raw the pain was yeah. um on the surface still and, you know, there's a, a massive identity issue. You know, if you ask the South Tyrolians, are you Italian or are you German? They'll say, oh, I'm not German. You know, <laughs> it's actually, we were Austrian. Um, and even then we were, we had um, autonomy. And so they consider themselves Tyrolean, um, number one. And there is still a movement down there that is trying to, to bring South Tyrol back to oh, Austria. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I heard that, that there's a political party yeah. is trying to like just just doesn't want to be in Italy, right? They just wants to belong to Austria. They, oh. they want to belong to Austria, as if the grass is greener <laughs> over here. But um, I hate to tell everybody this; it's not. Uh, you know, it's yeah. So you, you feel all of this, and and it's those emotions and such, and in, in this that I try to bring across into the story. So. I definitely don't. And I didn't in the woman at the gates either. Um, I don't try to create good guys and bad guys. There is no such thing. And especially in a war. Yeah. Um, It's about finding either your best self or your worst self in the process. And I really love exploring these moral dilemmas in my stories. Um, You know, what do you, what is it going to make out of you? Is it going to make the best out of you? Is it going to make the worst out of you? I love that. But there's definitely one or two people that I I saw as a bad guy or I didn't I didn't like you know but again again they were just doing their job and and, and I get that you know and they were doing what they were supposed to do um but for example the um so let's delve a, vaguely into the the plot we don't like to give too many spoilers but we need to set up a little bit 
Um, so there is a part where effectively they're in a concentration camp. And, you know, she, she manages to get, I suppose, what is a, a relatively cushy number because she's got an office job in there compared to some of the people who are doing more physical work. But the guy who she's working for, you know, he treats her really, really horribly. And I, I, for me, he was the, the prime villain, you know, I, I didn't like him at all. Mm. And I, I don't think you could tell mm. me anything to, to make me like him. At the start, I thought, okay, he's giving her a nice little position here. Maybe he's a decent guy. And then, oh, no, you've got to wear certain clothes when you're in with me. And then, you know, some of it I'm thinking, okay, but it's just the bit where she effectively asks him for help and then he beats her up essentially. And I just, okay, I can't, I can't anymore. Like, you know, this, I don't like this guy. He's a villain. And I, it's going to be very difficult to persuade me otherwise. You know, I had no idea um, who he was going to be until that scene where he sets the clothes out for her. Like she arrives to the office to work mm-hmm. for him um, and she has to get out of her camp clothes and change behind the door of the office. And he's got a dress hanging for her yeah. there and fresh pumps. And we don't even know to whom those pumps belonged, right? Um, and he makes her do her hair up in a special way. And he doesn't call her by her Ukrainian name, but calls her by a mm-hmm, Germanized mm-hmm. version of it. Wow. And this is where we get this sadistic psycho like, picture of this guy, you know? Wow. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Um, and I remember I wrote that scene after my first cup of coffee. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> all right. <laughs> let it rip <laughs> you, know? yeah, yeah. So, so you often don't know how the characters evolve right during the writing process you kind of no no but i oh wow yeah i have a, a bit of, i'm a scorpio so i have a very dark side <laughs> okay, yeah. but she really gets <laughs> unlucky you know there's a, again without giving without giving too much plot away but there's a part where they're in a prison there's another part where, in, where they're in the camp you know, so so they're not they're not having an easy time of it. They're going through this mm-hmm. kind of hellscape, and they are getting caught in most of the traps. It's not as if our heroes are kind of wandering through without mm-hmm. much peril. They're they're right there in the in the right. thick of it, you know. And yeah. and it's difficult. Yeah. But for for me, what really got me just is the is the love story. You know, obviously you've got you've got mm-hmm. Amelia. She's almost engaged, I guess, to to Victor, and then we think, well something might happen to Victor and then there's Ivan who's kind of always been there you know most of her life or whatever and then there's mm-hmm. the connection with him as well I, I'm a super romantic all I want to read from a book all I want to see from a film all I want to hear from a song <laughs> is but did they all get fall in love and everyone got married you know that's all I want <laughs> so I was very very pleased well, with that <laughs> oh, good. so I did deliver it you, you did <laughs> um <laughs> and there's an amazing moment where I'm just going to um, see if I can find the quote here because it's one of my favorite bits. Ivan got onto his knees, then onto his feet, and she watched him shed his layers. The two of them stepped forward, stepped toward one another, like the first two people ever to enter the world. And then the chap—that's where the chapter ends, you know, on just this lovely poetic, you know, I'm picturing a painting, you know, in my in my head. Um, and then, of course, the attack comes immediately afterwards. So. Your yeah. dad is being held by your grandfather, and um, in in the concentration camp outside Berlin. Mm-hmm. And how, I just wanted to know how old was your dad? My father was. Um, I mean, I have to guess so it was nineteen forty-five. He was about ten, what, not 10 quite years ten old. years old. He was nine years old, like two months from being ten. Um, wow, that's that's very. Thanks for old. sharing this. This is. Bad. And 
he remembers he remembers my grandfather saying you know um these are your future soldiers for the reich and you're killing them and the camp commander said all right take him to the hospital Mm -hmm. and the doctor then wrote out a pass and this was the part of research that I didn't um that I couldn't find answers to because it was all kind of told to me by my father but I really wanted to know what did these passes look like uh was it really feasible or was he you know kind of too out of it what I, I didn't understand how this would even be um possible And indeed, my mom found this pass with my grandmother's photo on it. It says, this mother is allowed to leave the camp Mm -hmm. to take her son to a specialist in town. Oh, my God. And that is when they started to put together the plot of escaping the the camp. Oh, my God. I mean, this is is some of the most powerful parts of the novel. Mm. I I just assumed that that bit was was pure fiction. I I can't believe that that bit was real. That's... That's astounding. Astounding. Wow. So um, I'm looking for the photo for you guys. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought sure. I could at least show you, you know. It's amazing um, that you found this, that you're, that you're found, and you and your husband. My mom is... You, it was, your mom, yes. Yeah, my wow. mom is like... Um, she, I, I saw these photos over 30 years ago when I was first interviewing my family. Uh-huh, and, okay. So I asked her, I'm like, could you please look for this shoe box? Because I know there's tons and tons of photos there. Um, good, actually. I'm very interested in that too, especially from my German family. Um, uh-huh. What they went up to now, to be honest, I have got to admit that my grandfather, he was forced into the Nazi army because he was 18. He wasn't 18. He was just one month off being 18 when the um, Second World War started. And to be honest, though, like, I'm not trying to defend him really, but, or maybe I am actually, but he, um, if he didn't join the Nazi army as a German, you will be put into a concentration camp, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, he, he also shot himself in the legs because he just didn't want oh. to fight anymore. He didn't want to kill anymore. You know? And he said he never killed. I'm not 100% sure if that's true because he, he said that in his army, at least in his um uh, division everyone kind of shot on purposely badly and not towards the people because he said right. in his division and probably most people i think it's true like no one really wanted to be in this killing game. right yeah. yeah so he was shooting just 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 to the side and then eventually to be honest though like around 1944 was really escalating they're going to go to russia it was just too much so he just did what a few other people did shot himself in the legs so he'd be arrested by the english because he knew he'd be treated better yeah. than Russians. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've got the pass on there now. Oh my God, you yeah. got the pass on you now. Das Kind? Ah, das, I think das Kind muss blah, 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 Arbeitsstelle da um, uh-huh. sofort ins ärztliche, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. Laute Behandlung. Behandlung. So, like, yeah. the kid has to, as I'm, I'm not saying all of it, but the kid has to go uh, to, um, to like, doctors. Uh, what's the word for that? Right. So, he was uh, caring, to doctors yeah. caring. So this was their um, their Polish name. They they mm-hmm. kept claiming that they were Polish because Lutzik is a Polish uh, last name. Um, yeah. So they kept claiming that they were Polish because, and especially after World War II, because they knew that if they were sent back to Ukraine, they would all just 
they'd be sent to camps, you know? Oh my yeah. Um, Stalin, Stalin had a very strict policy. If you were found outside of Soviet territory, you were a traitor, period. End of story, no questions asked. Oh the last part of the book really deals with this mass chaos of, you know, of these former Soviet residents really, really begging wow. the British and the Americans not to send them back. Yeah, this is, yeah this that, is that comes across in, in the novel, yeah. Yeah, and this was issued January 12th, 1945. Um, and you see my, my father's birthday is the 3rd, uh, or 1935 is March 3rd. Oh my, my mm-hmm. God, okay, that, that, that's crazy. And yeah. who, who, who is the person in the photograph? That's my grandmother. That's your grandmother, okay, mm-hmm. so that's his mother. That's Thanks his for mom. sharing. Mm-hmm. So just describing it to you guys on the radio, um, it's just, it's even readable, which is, usually I can't read this old document, but again, it's clear enough to read. And he got a picture of your grandmother there mm-hmm. looking, wow, she's looking very powerful. There's something a bit almost like, um, I'm getting the impression Defiance? that she had, well, I'm just getting the impression, I got the impression almost like, um, and, and I mean in a good way, well, I mean it in a complex way, and kind of like she had to be a sort of a, not feminine figure like she has to be strong mm. and like she has to like suppress her femininity and like this is me solved but i found mm. I, I got the impression that there was that she was putting a defensive sort of uh face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot more going on behind it there it's yeah you know the whole reason that i had to come up with this character fitzwald in this in this office is my father all he could do is tell me that my great aunt would return from work mm-hmm. um in the slave labor camp. And he said she was wasting away very quickly and she refused to talk about what she was doing. So I, as the author, I had to figure out what, what was happening in the background, you know, what was so terrible that, uh, that she wouldn't be able to talk about it. Well, you're doing a great job. You're a chronicler, but you're just, you're, the, the family history, you're bringing it out and, inspiring i think i think that's a really worthwhile endeavor you know i I really do and there's some really 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 powerful stuff in here you know thank you one even just here's a take a one-line quote stalin gave orders to burn everything everything so there was nothing left for the germans to take ever again you know it just shows you the position they were really in because Mm -hmm. i'm sure if they'd been the other way around the nazis would have done the same thing they would have burnt everything so the soviets couldn't you know they, they they didn't have a chance they're fighting for, as the underdogs and you really, really root for them, you know, and it, it, it's very powerful. And the treatment of people, I mean, there's a bit where when she's in the prison, her throat's raw from, you know, from screaming tears down her face as they torture her, cold water, electricity, you know, ripping out her nails. It's, it's horrendous stuff. And um, you, you really feel, but it really, I mean, I read the book wow. in two, two or three days because I just, I wanted to, you know, to keep going. I need, I, I needed a, I needed a happy ending. I needed something, you know, I needed to know that they survived or, you know, someone's fallen in love, please. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And I I find also that uh, when I visited Lviv, where part of the novel was set in uh, Western Ukraine, I mean, you know, that, that, that used to be a place called Galicia for Mm -hmm. you guys listening, not Spanish Galicia, Mm -hmm. but Galicia. Mm -hmm. And used to be, and Poland invaded and Austria. And then the Austrians tried to force the German language into them. And they they were speaking Polish, but they're really Ukrainian. And then the Russians came and, and it's all such, uh, when I was there, 
and also when I lived in Krakow and South Poland, all these places really around that area, they it's very omnipresent. I find mm. this it's, mm. it's like World War II, just every day you're just kind of reliving mm-hmm. it. I find, and it can be I quiet. Lived, yeah. I lived in the Radom, um, not too far right. from Krakow. Yeah, I was teaching there, and uh, yeah, there was something you woke up every day with a with a swastika in your face. It's been like that, day. right? I mean, it's kind of like it's it's very traumatic, and I get mm-hmm. it, but it's kind of okay. Can we maybe one day not directly or indirectly talk mm-hmm. about World War Two in the way mm-hmm. they're still dealing with with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I think it's great that other people can read it because it's not, you know, when when I'm now in Spain, now I don't think about it too much, but it's still important to remember. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end with two so things. on a happy note. Um, <laughs> no go go ahead go ahead oh i just wanted to say it was um because you mentioned that uh in western ukraine they they were pushing the german language they were pushing the polish language and everything so my grandmother um when we were living all together in the united states she would cook things and it always had kind of this germanic name and my favorite was schnitzel oh yeah and yeah, my grandmother's schnitzel. <laughs> now, now, wait a second, because I go to Vienna, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, they have schnitzel. I'm oh, yeah. ordering schnitzel, and you know what I got? I got a pan fried steak. Uh, it was oh no, this flattened piece of yeah. meat that was breaded and coated. You know what a schnitzel is? That's what I know as schnitzel. I yeah. grew up with schnitzel being little round, like almost meatballs, like. Right. In Vienna, the schnitzel is PJ. It's essentially what they call milanesas in 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 Spain. It's just like meat, you know, just pan fried in in breadcrumb. Yeah, right. And I and I thought, what is this? And my grandmother used to make it with you know ground beef, and and that Uh was her schnitzel. Um, So there were a lot of things that were lost in translation. (laughs) That's crazy, right? But actually, I know from from Poland as well. I had a girlfriend who was from the border at Bratislava, sorry, Bratislava, uh, um, at the at the southern border of uh, Poland, and they're they're called uh, the Gorski people. Gorski, they're not really 100% traditional Polish. Mountain people, yeah. The mountain people, exactly. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. and they also do it that way. They do this, and it's so a lot smaller, mm. <laughs> and not well. Not she didn't exactly like do like round. Yeah, exactly. But nothing weighs near as big as I had. No, just small, small uh, portions, several. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just culture just blends and changes. And yeah. that's why yeah. I love these kinds of novels where you where you <laughs> explain the story. Christina, thank you so much for calling in. If I may, I want to close with two things. Yes. Um, the first, I just want to read the poem. I want to read the, the famous poem from the book. With oh. her, I am the man I am meant to be. Hmm. That I love that's one of my favorite parts of the whole novel because it's very simple, straight to the point, and um, it really got me. Um, but the other thing I wanted to do was something that we do ask to everyone before we let you go, um, I'm conscious of time. Mm-hmm. If there was any book that you could have written, any actual existing book that someone else wrote that you wish you had written, what would it be? I can't answer that question. I know, <laughs> I know you guys ended up this. But I can't answer that question. Um, I mean, sure, I would love to have been, you know, like the guy who wrote uh, All the Light You Cannot, or what is it called? All the Light You Cannot See. Yeah. All the Light You Cannot Um, See. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Anthony Doerr. 
because it's just so popular and it really kind of paved the way for World War II books. So this is my homage mm. to him. But um, I have I have been doing writing courses and I've been writing essentially almost all my life from from second grade. And the one thing that I have learned is this: you can give each of us the same subject, yeah, the same topic, and the same plot of a book. And each of us are going to write a completely different book. And in the author community, I, and I really want to stress this, there is no competition, you know, yeah. like um, we don't write the same stories. We don't try to write like other people. We might try to write to market. Some people can do that. Um, but I, I just want to write the stories that I want to write. And That's an interesting take. A lot of people just pick their favorite book growing up, you know, and they say, oh, I wish I'd written that one. But I did have, we did have one author who said, I don't know why people don't just all say Harry Potter and then they'd all be millionaires. You know, that's <laughs> the most obvious answer. Like, you know, but look, thank yeah. you so much for calling in and for thank sharing you, your, you your wonderful stories with us. It's been wonderful and have hey. yourself a really nice evening. Thanks. Good so luck. Yes, don't forget everyone job. that the book does come out. Um, depending on when you're listening, it's going to come out on the 2nd of September. Let's see it again. There we go. The woman at the gates. Wow. Oh. And I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes anyway, in case people want to find thank out. Thank you guys. Whatever. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.